from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Otherwise, it will be up on the screen. You can uh, look at that uh, there as well. Um, also, just a reminder, thanks, Rob, that for people sitting in the aisle, there's all these blue books. Uh, they're our prayer and communication books. Uh, if you, They pick them up and just feed down the aisles. If you um, want prayer items, we'll pray for them during the week. If you want to communicate to us as a church, you can write some communication stuff in there. We'll follow you up. Uh, so they'll be passed down the aisles. Uh, if you don't get one while it's passed down the aisles, you can find them after uh, the service and write either prayer requests or requests for visits or whatever you would like in there as well. So I don't see Leon here. No. So we're going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're just going to read the last five verses of that. So from verse 20. So when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders and great and grievous, both great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us up out of there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, and that he might preserve us alive as well as we are to this day. And it will be the righteousness for us if we are careful to do his commands before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So this uh, passage comes at the, uh, at the end of um, the Lord giving to the people of Israel the Ten Commandments. Uh, they've gathered around the, the, uh, the base of Mount Sion and um, he has uh, given them the laws and decrees, uh, the Ten Commandments, if you remember the story of Moses going up onto the uh, mountain to get them. And so as we think about uh, that and how we um, interact with these laws and I've lost my sermon, there we go, <laughs> um, we're done with it, it's okay, don't panic, it's here, phew, I'm sure you're saying that, yeah, right. Um, so as we think about uh, what does it mean for us to follow Jesus, and that's what we've been talking about this year as a church and over the last month or so, we've called May Mayhem as we've had four baptisms and Mother's Day in the mix, uh, and we're thinking about uh, how does God work in and through our families, and that uh, families are actually God's primary tool that's given uh, to his people to help people uh, move in Christ, help people to come to under, understand and know who God is. It's where God reveals himself uh, a lot of the time. That we've talked about uh, as family unit, which might be quite diverse, and uh, we have all sorts of families uh, represented here, that there are blessings and challenges in each of our family situations. But we recognize that God's given us a family unit He's given us an extended family and he's given us a church family uh, through which he chooses to reveal himself uh, to us. 
And so we celebrate that this morning with Harrison and Matthew, that they're on the beginning of this journey of coming to understand and know who God is and how he interacts with their lives. Uh, over the, uh, the month, we've looked at a number of different uh, sermon topics. We've looked at the question of why this works, which I've explained a little bit about. We talked about mothers uh, and the influence that they have uh, in our lives. We've talked about the day-in, day-out types of dis- discipleship. Uh, last week, we had missional discipleship as we looked at um, uh, Luke and Agnes and baptizing Ethan in that context. And today's one is... I'm calling it a question and answer or testimony discipleship because uh, you get the sense here that when your son asks or when your children ask, you to give them an answer. And there's this idea of question and answer, uh, a question and answer tool that helps us as families uh, communicate who God is and who we are because of him. So when we think about Matthew and Harrison... And what it's going to take for them to be followers of Christ or to come to a point of making that decision. How are they going to come to know about God or about Jesus? Uh, And hopefully it's through their family, through the extended family, through the church family. As they interact and uh, do what kids naturally do, ask lots of questions. And uh, we uh, as parents or as aunties, uncles, cousins... uh, church family will be called to interact with their questions and so a little bit this morning I want to um, explore what are the questions you're asking how are you answering those Uh, and then a little bit about um, the why of it all so this morning I want to particularly start with um, this one the the, the asking side I don't know if you realize that this process this question and answer process is a two-way street uh, that there, it requires asking and answering. Uh, and so I want to particularly just to start off with, for us as children, uh, whether it be young children or for those of us who are old and still children, that uh, this passage uh, pushes us and gets us uh, to ask questions of our parents to ask questions of our extended family, to ask questions of our church family of why they live the way they do. And that this discipleship method needs the uh, questions to be asked as well. And we saw this, Jesus uh, had this with him when, he, when Jesus modelled us uh, discipleship because his disciples were constantly coming to him saying, what does this mean? Why are you doing that? Explain what that means. And so uh, I want to think, particularly remind us uh, as children, when was the last time you asked your parents about why they believe what they believe, why they live the way they live? When was the last time that you asked them, how did you come to know Jesus? How did you come to live with God? And I want us to remind us that either if we're 12, 18, 20, 30, 40, that we keep asking those questions. It's just been, uh, it's hit me recently, I've had some discussions with my dad um, in recent times where just, uh, he's opened up a little bit more about his faith and, and it came because I asked questions. And so this role of asking questions and an interaction and um, of, of learning of faith and life 
comes as we ask questions because it gives people, and this is the important, it gives people the opportunity to tell the story. It gives people opportunity to interact and impart wisdom or knowledge or understanding uh, to you and your family. So what are the questions? Why do we live like this? Tell me about the time that you did that. Or why do we as a family do this? And so that we, as, as Harrison and Matthew begin this journey, we hope that they become question askers <laughs> and that we uh, uh, create an environment where we uh, get people to ask lots of questions about why we do what we do. Then the other side is the answers side. Uh, and so it says, when your children ask, then tell them or give them the answer. And it's interesting uh, how in these verses, how the answer is given. Because do you note that they are not, when they answer the question, they don't just tell them what the rules and the regulations are. <laughs> they just don't go back through the laws and tell them what the laws are. Now, what do they do and, and, and how does God instruct them to answer? He says, the answer that I want you to give them is a testimony. And it's a testimony of God's work in your life. And so if you look at, at the verses there, I want you to tell them about how you were slaves in Egypt and how you were saved by a powerful God. And then I want you to tell them about the mighty works that God has done. I want, to tell, I want you to tell them about the things that God has done in your life. And so as we think about the questions and answer type thing, that this, uh, these answers that God's giving us uh, to bring to our children are not just all the laws and stipulations and how, how it all works, but he says, I want you to personally tell them about how you've been saved or how God's interacted with you. Not just to teach them, but to bring your testimony. So when was the last time, I've asked myself this question uh, a number of times this week, when was the last time that you told your kids how you were saved, how you became a follower of Jesus? What are the things that you've told them that God's been doing in your life? Have you told them about the experiences and wonders of God that you've experienced in the last week, month, year, or through your life? I think what I've, when I've thought about this, it takes a bit of practice. It takes a bit of what is my story and how to, to communicate my story. But I think the more we do it, the more we actually become comfortable more with it, the more we actually um, know how to articulate it better. I was thinking about it, and I've said it from here, the pulpit before, and I was thinking about it. If I said it from home, I think I've said it a couple of times at home, maybe around the dinner table, that I became a follower of Jesus, that I became a believer in God uh, when I was about 15 and I was under my doona uh, in a little farmhouse in Mount Denis, just outside Geelong. <laughs> uh, I was a scared person. I was scared of the dark. I was scared of evil. I used to get a lot of evil dreams and stuff like that. And I often was terrified. And it was there under my doona, praying to a God that he would release me of my fear or protect me or get me through the night. And there God began to interact with me. <laughs> 
And my prayer life wasn't just words to an empty space, but there was a sense of God's presence, a sense of God's comfort with me in that place. And that as God interacted with me, he did two things. <laughs> it was quite interesting. He convicted me of my brokenness and sinfulness. And then he convicted me of his forgiveness and his grace and his love for even a broken <laughs> child of his. He showed me what it meant that I am his dearly loved son and that he would go to the ends of the earth for me, that he would be willing to sacrifice his son for me. And so there in that place, and over a period of time, a number of years there, I got to know the freedom of living with God. I grew in confidence as I understood who God was and who I was because of him. That I came to know the freedom from spiritual oppression. That one of the powerful works that God did in my life was to free me from those evil dreams. It didn't happen then, it actually happened later on in life. That God answered my prayer in a powerful way as evil sought to disrupt dismantle or derail me from walking with Jesus and his power came and freed me from that I remember as about uh, I don't know I was in my 20s and there was a young guy that died in a car accident in our community in our church community he was 18 I was studying architecture he was studying architecture at the time and it was the first time that I experienced the freedom from the bondage of death. That when we as a community got together and celebrated his life, knowing that it would go on for eternity because he was a follower of Jesus and that he was now living in heaven. <laughs> and it gave me hope and joy as I experienced the power and the promise of God as a church community. And I recognize that in my life, and I have not done this enough with my boys. I've not shared it enough with my boys. And I think this is where I sort of went a few weeks ago. Remember that God uses broken, messed up, dysfunctional, crazy families to reveal himself. And even the little things that we do uh, often have a powerful impact in our children's lives. So what do we say? We, yep, we acknowledge our brokenness. We accept his forgiveness. We ask for the Spirit to help us to be better at this. We're reminded that the truth of his word in 1 Peter 3, 15, which says, In your heart set aside Christ as Lord, when he's Lord, then be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have and do this with gentleness and respect. And that begins in our families, as well as in our extended family, in our church family, in our workplaces, our schools. It's interesting um, where um, the next book of the Bible is Joshua. And I came across this story again as I was preparing this message. And Joshua is the leader who uh, leads Israel into the promised land. And as he leads them across the Jordan River, I don't know if you remember this story, he goes across the Jordan River and the river dries up so that they can go across. Uh, and there's this a miraculous act of God. 
And then uh, Joshua says, what I want you to do is grab big, 12 big stones and I want you to put them over here on this side of the promised land. And then um, he said, whenever your children ask you, why is that pile of 12 stones there? Then he says, I want you to tell them <laughs> that your God promised to bring you into this land. He brought you by mighty acts, miraculous acts, uh, across the Jordan River into this land. I want, them to t- I want you to tell them who God is and who you are because of him. And uh, uh, we've uh, used some uh, family uh, training stuff, Growing Families International, and they uh, talk about creating family memorials. And I was thinking, what are your 12 stones in your family? What are the things that you have to remind you and your family of the works of God, of the great things that God has done. I was thinking about it in our lives. One of the things that I've done over the years is um, create family photo books. And these family photo books capture um, things that we've done as a family, uh, places we've been, experiences we've had. And I've noticed over the years that our boys pull them out and have a look and reflect back on. And it gives us an opportunity to speak into, uh, wasn't it great when God did that? Or when he took us to that place? Or when we experienced that there? Um, As I looked around my house, I thought I'd do it this week. I just had a look around my house. And I thought, how would anyone or my kids know that that this is a Christian house? Some of the paintings that I've been doing recently that are up on our walls, um, some of my topics are things that have impacted me, where I've seen God uh, interact with the poor and the needy uh, through some of our Uganda experiences and other places. Testimonies of God's work. Um, Have you you sat around, um, you guys did it on Friday night, you sat around a campfire telling stories, telling stories of the things of God. There's, um, oh, I remember, uh, <laughs> Coralyn has this Bible that her dad gave her and it was, uh, I, her mum contacted it, you know, that you contact it and then if you don't contact it properly or leave it in the sun, it goes all bubbly. Um, we've got this bubbly Bible that sits on our, uh, on our um, table often. It's our family Bible that we often read from. Um, and I remember a, a, a number of months or so ago, um, the boys were looking in that and they opened it. In the front of the Bible was a message from Coraline's dad about um, her profession of faith and giving her the word so that she would um, uh, come to know God and, uh, and trust in his word. What are the things like that that you have in your family, that your, your kids or your broader family, your extended family, your neighbours, you, you have opportunity to tell the story of what God has been doing in and through your family. Um, that the Ezos who, who run that training stuff, they have this, they, they created a little, um, you know, one of those glass cabinets. <laughs> what do you call those things that you put on the wall? And they put things in there that reminded them of the things that they'd done. And one of the powerful ones that's always stuck in my head, that they uh, testified that one day they were in a church service, they had some people that were speaking there, they had an offering after the service, they were both students or just just out of uni so they didn't have a whole lot of money and they felt convicted to give money they prayed and so they gave i think it was a hundred dollars or something which pretty well wiped out their bank balance uh it was zero from then on (laughs) for the until they got paid in, in a fortnight time 
that was on the Sunday. The Monday, they opened, uh, they went to the letterbox, they opened the mail, and in the mail was a check for $100. And it was from some weird and wonderful um, finance scheme that they put $20 into 10 years ago or something like that, and they got a dividend out uh, at that time. And they got their kids around, and they, they actually kept the check. They went and cashed it, but they actually kept it, and they put it in this little memorial thing. And they said, we reminded of the faithfulness of God that when we take steps of faith, uh, sometimes he turns up and he does stuff like this. This is the sort of God that we follow and, and, and uh, live for. And I was thinking, yeah, where are the things like that that we have in our lives to remind us of the activity of God in our lives? Even if you're young and you're, um, you're young now, I say start collecting the stories. Start thinking about the reminders. Uh, put them in your rooms or wherever it is. Take them with you as you experience God in your life. And here's the other one. I think this is the one that sort of captured me a little bit. That as followers of Jesus, as Christians, that we would live lives that demand a gospel explanation. That there would be something about our lives that people would ask, why do you live that way? Why do you do that? How is it that you can face that situation that way? And then the thing is that if people are going to ask, what is, what is the reason for the hope that you're going to give? Uh, get used to it and, and prepare um, some of those que- answers to those questions. And so then I, uh, just that question and answer thing, and I just wanted to leave that with you as you, how that looks in your family. But then I just wanted to wrap up this whole sort of family discipleship theme just with one point, and it comes sort of at the end of this passage of Deuteronomy 6. Um, and it talks about the law has been given to them, to the people, so, um, so that they will gain or attain righteousness. And as I explained, what is righteousness? so that they would become right with God, so that the people would be right with God. How did they become right with God? And through all of this, um, God's saying, I want you to know these things so that you may be right with God. Uh, In these last few verses, I want you to know God. I want you to have life to the full. I want you to be able to live life well. um, And I want you to be right with God. And what we know is that the Old Testament, which we're reading out of today, is part of the bigger story, which includes a New Testament, uh, which includes sort of the life and, and teaching of Jesus there, that it's part of a big story. And it's interesting because what does the word testament mean? It's a testimony. It's a testimony to the work of God, a testimony to how God has been saving his people from uh, the beginning of time uh, through to the end of time. And what we read in Romans chapter 8 as we uh, go into the New Testament, and we see the outworking of this bigger picture, we read this verse. But now, apart from the law, there is a righteousness from God which has been made known, in which the law and the prophets testify. So the Old Testament, and now there's a righteousness. You can be right with God apart from the law. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to anyone who will believe. There's no difference between Jew, Gentile, for all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God, and we are justified freely by His grace, His gift, through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. That when we see the big story of the Bible, the big story of God's family being worked out, 
that he sent Jesus to come to fulfill the law so that we can be right with him. That all of this was pointing forward to Jesus. So that when uh, the Old Testament law was given and they were trying to work out the laws, pretty well the Israelites and the people, and we know that we can't do it. We can't obey the law. We can't keep uh, the requirements of the law. And then uh, God in the Old Testament gave them a sacrifice system to be able to do that uh, so that they could put their, their hands on a, an animal and that would be sacrifice because the consequences of sin was death. And that was, but they recognized that that didn't even do it. They recognized this was pointing to the ultimate lamb that would be sacrificed, to the ultimate one. So Jesus, who came and fulfilled the law, Jesus lived perfectly the law, so that could be given to us. Jesus took the punishment for those who broke the law. And so this big story, this family discipleship fam, um, journey has got to keep Jesus at the center, uh, pointing to him and what he has done so that we can be right with God. That this righteousness is not something that we can earn, but it is a gift from God. And I wanted to remind uh, us, I've been reminding myself this week, um, particularly as I live this out in my family, that this idea of the Bible and trying to live following Jesus is something uh, that is freeing and joyful and hopeful. And I was thinking about what is it? Why is it that I, I live that way? And I was, uh, we, in our life group, we were exposed to some uh, teaching last week. And uh, it talked about what's the difference between Christianity and every other religion. Oh, let's go further, every other worldview. So a worldview, you might be an atheist or a humanist or something like that. All of the religions and worldviews are works-based. I.e., you have to do things to keep your God happy. Um, and these religions don't hide this. This is not disparaging other religions. This is what they practice, is that you have to do things to keep your God happy. And if you do enough good things, then you might be okay. Or consumerism says, if you work hard, do enough, your life will be good because you get enough money. That's all other religions and worldviews that way. The difference is that Christianity says that you can't do it and that someone has done it for you. That Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. He paid the punishment for breaking it so that you may have life forever. So that you will be God's people, God's child, and that you'll get to live with him forever. So then our lives become a life of thanks, a life of worship, a life of joy. That's what motivates us to live that way. God can be no happier with me than he is already. He can be no sadder uh, with me because that was put on Jesus. I am perfect with him. I am right with him. And as I was thinking about that, I think, yeah, that's the reason why. That's what I want to communicate to my children, to my extended family, to those that God puts in my path. That that will be the driving force in my answers. And that Jesus promised that when he ascended to heaven, the story hadn't yet finished. That he sent his Holy Spirit on his people and so that they would experience his power in a personal way. And that power comes through understanding who Jesus is, 
but also the fruits of his spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. And as I say many times, these are not things that you have to conjure up. They are gifts from God. He says, if you keep in step with my spirit and you ask my spirit, you can have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. You can have uh, comfort in times where situations seem so overwhelming. They are yours because you are my children and I love you as a perfect father. He says, I have supernatural power to intervene in things that you can't do anything about. And so he says, come to me and ask. Live this life with me. And he said, you don't have to do anything. The only thing that you have to do when a gift is given is receive it. You just have to take it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You just have to receive it. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news that we want lived out in our families. And as dysfunctional and as broken as they may be, be reminded that they are God's tool that he has chosen to reveal himself, to see his power come, to make his grace known. That as we live following him, we'll experience his presence and his power. We will know the hope and the freedom and joy that comes by the title of being a child of the living God. And so that's our prayer and our hope and our practice for Harrison and and Matthew, that they'll come to know this grace. They'll come to know this loving God who embraces them as their loving father and is going to walk with them through their life.